Captain's Log, Stardate 5122-6, on a mission to Gamma 6. Spock, Bones, Scotty, and I beamed down, not knowing what to expect. We approached the idol. Its jaws were moving. Suddenly, five Lilliputians appeared, each attached to the other. The aliens placed themselves in front of the idol. Strange animals tried to grab us. Bones was trapped in a man-eating plant. Suddenly, the floor gave way. I was in the cave. The Lilliputians were friendly. Mission to Gamma 6 was a success. Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast, Gimme That Star Trek. It's ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 58 of Give Me That Star Trek, the proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and this episode is really part one of our look at Star Trek action figures, specifically the Mego era, and maybe some of the ones that came a little bit before, a little bit later, uh, at least up until the Playmates line, which we'll keep for part two next season. My guest today is toy collector extraordinaire Chris Franklin and we're going to ask him where does he get those wonderful toys Chris welcome back to the show hey Cisco it's great to be back yeah you have uh, such a such a nice collection of toys that uh, you almost had to be on this particular program <laughs> well thank you I you know my my collection is it's not the greatest some of the stuff's fairly common but it's pretty big so <laughs> the, the size of it's pretty impressive so I guess yeah you have many like display cases and it's all very everybody's a little bit jealous of what you have there <laughs> even though like you say it's probably just like an amateur collection in the sense that you're not spending inordinate amounts of money on this stuff are you <laughs> No, no, I've never like, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that drops a thousand dollars on anything. And I, I just I have two kids um, and a wife. I've, I've never and I mean, I'm sure other people do that have done that. And that's fine. If you can do it and still pay your bills, go for it. But I've I've always been a little uh, a little more thrifty uh, with my collecting. I do have some nice things. But, yeah, I've never dropped what I would ever consider a mint on uh, on any one piece. I mean, you know, it's maybe a couple hundred bucks, maybe a little bit over that, but never beyond like 500 on one thing or something, you know, so yeah. Uh, and it's not just Star Trek stuff, but today we are talking about Star Trek action figures as they came out in the wake of the show's popularity. Well, I don't know. We're going to talk about the Mego stuff, which starts like around 1974, while the show was in syndication and maybe picking up speed, and of course the animated series was on at the time. But those weren't the first examples, were they? No, actually, there's model kits, but Mego did make the first actual action figures okay. of Star Trek. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of <laughs> accurate product uh, made during the 60s. Remco, a company that would later make a lot of um, 
action figures and toys and for uh, DC, Marvel, Universal Monsters. They had the Star Trek license to make some items in the 60s, but they did a lot of label swapping, as um, my friend Brian Heiler likes to put it, of, of Plaid Stallions fame, which, Brian, a lot of my Star Trek Mego knowledge comes from what he's written on the Mego Museum as well. But Remco, particularly there was an, uh, a series they, called, they had called Hamilton Invaders, which was basically a science fiction series of, like based on the popularity of giant bug movies. And they took some some items from that, like tanks and helmets that kids could wear, and slapped Star Trek labels on them. And that's that was your Star Trek toys in the '60s, right? While the show was on, so it was pretty crude. Uh, you had to go to AMT for the model kits to get accurate um, show. I guess you call toys or collectibles. And of course, famously. A couple of places, the Star Trek series actually used the AMT models when they needed an extra ship <laughs> in the background or something. Right, right. You know. So, yeah. But no, the Amigo was the first with actual dedicated action figures of the characters. Mego gets the license in 1974. This turned out to be a good idea because they, you know, they would eventually produce more lines. There wasn't just like those first few dolls. I call them dolls because they've got clothing. So <laughs> is is there a distinction? Do you call them dolls? Well, here's the thing. A lot of people say that, but I, I and, and I'm not one of those people that, oh, don't you call it a doll? I mean, I've jokingly said that, <laughs> but I, I really don't care. But really, honestly, G.I. Joe was the first toy branded as an action figure. And he had cloth costumes in 1964, right. cloth clothing. Um, you know, he didn't have plastic uh, clothing sculpted onto him. He had outfits that you could change because he was, you know, it was basically supposed to be, well, wait a minute, uh, you know, Barbie's popular with girls. What can we do similar for boys? Right. But he was called an action figure. So G.I. Joe is the original action figure. So therefore, the clothing doesn't quite make that distinction. <laughs> A lot of people say that. But if you want to be technical about it, if you consider G.I. Joe an action figure, then that doesn't doesn't work. So. <laughs> right. right. And Mego had had success before Star Trek with the superhero line, of course, that everybody's seen some of those for sure. When I was a kid, I never owned any, but I know I played with some. I remember the Spider-Man figure. I remember the Batman and Robin figures. I remember the Batmobile. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also remember the Planet of the Apes. That was them as well. Yes, yes. Planet of the Apes was a big deal for Mego. Uh, they got into that 8-inch scale with uh, their own series called Action Jackson, which was their take on G.I. Joe at a smaller scale. And that body was just the gateway to tons of licenses, uh, <laughs> including uh, the world's greatest superheroes, uh, Planet of the Apes. Wizard of Oz and Star Trek and then many beyond that, yeah. So they're a little smaller than the G.I. Joe's, obviously, uh, which was uh, at least a 12-inch, wasn't he? Right, yes, yeah. he's 12-inch. And uh, they say 8-inch, but uh, technically, like, Mego's a little bit smaller than 8 inches. So sometimes you'll see them, like, occasionally they'll say 7-inch figure and, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, Mego's are 8 inches, but if you want to be technical about it, they're not quite 8 inches, so... <laughs> okay, well, when I was a kid, they seem much bigger because... I was smaller. So right. like to me today, eight inches, it's it's hard for a Canadian because we don't, I mean, I understand height in the, in terms of feet and inches, but you know, that's not how we measure things, right. um, the metric system. So I'm not, I'm not always sure, but whenever I read the scales on any action figure, it always seems so small because centimeters are much smaller than inches. Right. But it's like, <laughs> but when I was a kid, they seem much bigger than that. 
because eight inches in a child's hands is, you know, it's 12 inches in my hand now. Yeah, I mean, I think that was, you know, that was one, that was kind of a genius thing. Migo was sliding down that scale so they could, uh, maybe the, the figures just felt, you know, more playable, you know, than the big G.I. Joes that you kind of like for a kid's hands, you had to like, you know, grab him with one hand and then, you know, move his arm with the other or something, you know, he was kind of hefty. And I remember the $6 million man figure I had that came out later was even bigger than 12 inches. And he was like a chunk, you know, <laughs> and was huge. Uh, yeah. And then, and then, you know, of course, Migo slides the scale down and then as we'll, you know, might get into later, they slide it down even further than the three and three quarter inch size that was popularized by star Wars, but not created by star Wars. That becomes kind of the norm because then you can get all the vehicles and, and make the, you know, the, the world of the play kind of opens up uh, right. in that way. But the 8-inch scale did help Mego make vehicles and play sets that were a little more economy-sized in some ways, too. So why was this a good idea for them to go after the Star Trek license? My understanding is, is that they got it for a pretty good price because I think Paramount was slow to wake up to what they had with Star Trek. I think um, from the beginning, <laughs> from from the beginning, from 1964, when they first started developing it onward. Yeah. E even though Star Trek was a huge, huge in syndication, there were, you know, conventions were starting to blow up and there was even talk about let's let's do something with Star Trek. The animated series got greenlit. They still didn't quite understand the value. So so Mego got a pretty good deal, as my understanding. I've read five thousand bucks. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, it's 1974 money, but still, that's uh, that was probably a very good deal. And also, I mean, a lot of the dolls are going to have the same uniform. Basically, there's it can be uh, cheap on the on the production end, right? Sure, yeah. And I mean, that's you know, Mego. The genius of Mego is using that same body across the different licenses. Right. But with with Star Trek, you know, they had the you know, well, we've got the crew all pretty much have the same uniform pattern. You just have to change the color, and even Spock and McCoy have essentially the same uniform. So yeah, they, they basically had to sculpt the head. And there was another feature that Mego did with Star Trek that they, they gave them uh, the lower legs. They had the boots sculpted in. So that way kids didn't have to worry about losing their boots. And, and then, you know, Mego had, okay, we don't have to sculpt different boots for different characters. It's already there. The rest of the body's the same as you know, Action Jackson and the superheroes. It, it was tailor-made for an action, a frugal action figure company like Mego. <laughs> yeah, and so they made, obviously they made your heroes. You had Kirk, you had Spock, you had Bones. You had, eventually you had, uh, <laughs> ridiculously, well, this is one of the things I find ridiculous is how little consistency there is or continuity there is between the show and the toy line where, you know, Scotty is misspelled. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. T-T-I-E rather than, you know, Scotty with a Y. Right. Uh, they eventually made a Huhura. They made the Klingon uh, was a part of the original ones. And then there's like these aliens that they added as well, which are very much, uh, you know, Rob Kelly's. Uh, the Gorn. Yeah. His Gorn. Yeah. Rob Kelly's Gorn, which is his beloved toy that we've seen him in pictures uh, with. But then like the completely not Star Trek Neptunian the Keeper was really Balok, sort of. Yeah. Because later they would come out with a Talosian, who was the Keeper, you know, in, in the, the show lore. The Chiron, which is the, it's Beale, basically, from yeah. uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. And then there's like the really rare ones, the Romulan, the Andorian, the Mugato in full clothing, even. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I mean, and some of these are super rare. Apparently, there's like a there was a fire or something in a warehouse. That's just part of the legend. Yeah, that's part of the legend, but that's not true. Uh, it's that, not okay. No, though that 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 part's not true. Basically, the reason that those last series aliens, which are the Romulan, the Andorian, the mm-hmm. Talos, they didn't even call them Talosian, uh, and the Mugato are are rarest because. They came out in the last series as Paramount was ramping up for Star Trek The Motion Picture, and Paramount rather stupidly decided, okay, let's just stop all original series licensing because oh. we're, you know, we're ramping up for the motion picture, and they basically they considered it a separate license. Of course, Migo had a foot in the door for the motion picture, and they got it. They may have wished they hadn't, <laughs> as we'll get to. But yeah, it, it was the tail end series, and they just didn't get that much distribution, honestly, is, is what happened yeah. uh, with, with those, yeah. Do you have any favorites? I honestly, to this day, think that the the sculpt for Captain Kirk is the best action figure sculpt of, of William Shatner's Kirk, because I, there's other ones that are that are wonderful. Uh, Migo. The revived Mego has a, a new Kirk sculpt that's nice. Playmates nine inch figure was nice. QMX, I think, is the company that made the really nice twelve inch, almost hot toy style Star Trek figures. I think somebody else is doing them now, but I think it's still the same creators that are involved. That's really nice, but none of them capture the swagger that <laughs> that Mego somehow got in that sculpt of Captain Kirk. He's got this kind of confident smirk on his face. It's hard to describe. It's like it's just sublime. <laughs> Kirk is just sublime. There's just something about his face that's like, okay, that's pure William Shatner as Captain Kirk. That's my favorite. Um, you know, the the Spock figure is pretty iconic, but a lot of people, you know, it, it, it doesn't quite capture. It, it looks like Nimoy, but it kind of looks like a, a cross between Nimoy and his, his filmation animation design. Yeah. So it's it's not quite 100% Nimoy, uh, but yeah, it, it's got to be Kirk. Bones is nice, too. He- I think Bones is probably my favorite because of the facial sculpts, just because of the, you know, he's got the arched eyebrow. It's very, it's very yeah. McCoy. I mean, it's one of the better, the more expressive ones like Kirk. The, like the expression actually matches the character in addition to having a pretty good likeness. And the Klingon is obviously... Koloff, uh, I think with yeah. the beard. So, and, and he looks, he's got a pretty good expression as well. So they had some good heads on the, on the figures. Yeah. By this point, Migo had really, uh, had, uh, was really firing on cylinders with their head sculpts. I mean, they, uh, there are some really nice sculpts in this era that, that hold up really well today. I mean, there's a reason that they're being reproduced um, by Migo, by the revived Migo and even other companies uh, using those those original Mego head sculpts, you can't really get any better <laughs> than, than what they did in some ways uh, with a mass market toy, you know. What do you think of the aliens? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny, and I, and I hate to even say this because the Gorn does mean so much to Rob, but the Gorn <laughs> is probably is Mego at its most thrifty. I mean, it is a lizard head from the world's greatest superhero line, the Spider-Man villain, the lizard. Uh, for whatever reason, they recast it in brown, even though the lizard, I mean, the Gorn is green, like the yeah. lizard. And he's got a Klingon uniform. I mean, they, <laughs> they just... <laughs> yeah, and even that, that's the, it's a Klingon uniform from the animated series, which seems to be, you know, was kind of the reference. I feel a lot like looking at these figures, I was reminded of some of the first Gold Key comics where they'd sent, mm-hmm. you know, they, they sort of farmed it out to an artist in Italy who had never seen the show and had very little photo reference to go 
from. So you get some really wonky stuff like like the bridge takes up the whole saucer section or <laughs> is there stuff like that. But also, what do the artists, the sculptors and, you know, toy makers have as far as photo reference go? And it doesn't seem like they're watching the show all that much, but maybe the animated series, they had more of that reference because you get the, the sort of pink-ish <laughs> Klingon uniform, which then yeah. translates to whatever the Gorn is, is wearing. So it's, it's got to feel more like... Like the animated series sometimes. You know, over the years, you know, they've been asked, and particularly, again, uh, by my friend Brian Hyler, the, the folks at Mego, you know, were, were you going off the animated series? And they have said no, but I think the proof is there. I think it was a combination of, you know, what little snippets they could see on TV, you know, when it was being syndicated, the animated series being on Saturday mornings at a set time, and very limited production stills that paramount would send out i mean that that's another thing paramount just was not prepared to license star trek really i mean they didn't they didn't have like what any ip holder would have now with a you know well here's a style guide you know here's a oh yeah here's a turnaround of every character here's their costumes here's here's stills here's on set photos you know None of that. I mean, they, they would send them, I guess, you know, I, the idea is that perhaps they sent them just a headshot of the Mugato. And that's why you got instead of a, a furry, you know, white ape suit you got, he's wearing, as Brian pointed out, like he looks like he's raided Sonny Bono's closet. It's really bizarre how some of these, you know, the, the Telosian has a wonderful head sculpt, but then he's he's on a seven inch body, which is the same as that they use for their Teen Titans figures and a smaller series of World War Two figures. His head looks great, but his his body's smaller, which, I mean, maybe that works with the fact that the Telosians were played by women, uh, you know, in the, in the show. But but the costume's all wrong, the yeah. The costume is, what is he wearing? It's yellow. He's got bright orange boots. It's it's not the flowing robes of the Telosian. It, it, it's, it, it is so bizarre that they got that close, rather than just totally make up aliens like the Neptunian. Which is actually a really cool-looking action figure. And hey, why not? Don't just reproduce your favorite episodes. Create a new one where they meet this completely different alien, huh? Right, exactly. I, you know, and, and even the the Sharon is 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 a nice-looking figure, even though they took the 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 black and white division of the their faces to extremes by making their whole outfit <laughs> like that. I mean, they they look like a two-face lackey or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And you got to imagine that if you're trying to sculpt a toy, it might be easier to look at animated cells or whatever, you know, animation cells as a template for that because they're simpler than whatever, like a, a human face, which because that expression, like <laughs> the bones expression with the raised eyebrow, you saw that all the time on the animated series. And yeah. why why Koloth? Well, Koloth did appear in a uh, animated episode. Yes. But that's the basic look with that beard. That's that's a very drawn-on look of the animated series. So, yeah, I think it it has to be a little cleaner as well. That was probably part of the inspiration. Where And the aliens that are not in the animated series are the ones that are the most off-model. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, everybody always talks about, you know, the, the crown jewel of the aliens is, of course, the Romulan. Because... Yeah. Yeah, he it's not 100% show accurate, but it's it's really close and uh he's got the removable, you know, vac metalized helmet. It's it's very shiny and and uh, underneath he actually looks like Mark Leonard. So, uh Yeah. That, no, it's it's really good. Yeah, it's it's nice. And the Andorian has like a, you know, a special head and and looks like kind of a medieval costume, which isn't too far from what 
the war in um, Journey to Babel. It's, it's too bad that they stop productions on those because then you might have Romulans as common. And I don't I don't expect anyone to have a Romulan in their collection unless they, they paid a mint for it. Right. Yes, exactly. I've got a reproduction. Okay, <laughs> you know, okay. One of the, one of the reproductions. <laughs> yeah. Of course, frustrating for collectors is the fact that they never made Chekhov and Sulu right. of the bridge crew. They didn't. Of course, you know, was the bridge crew... Like the, the the seven solidified really until the films. I mean, I, mm. I I don't know. That's that's a good question. Other people, I mean, people have differing opinions because nobody besides really no well no one besides Kirk and Spock were in every episode. Even Bones missed an episode or two. You know, so um, was that a a fabrication of the fact that okay these actors came back in fairly prominent roles in the films, and therefore that kind of set them in the minds that okay this is the classic bridge crew, but. Obviously, Sulu and Chekhov were on the show enough to have warranted action figures even in the 70s, yeah. but unfortunately, they didn't get them. But Chekhov was not on the animated series, so, right. you know, but still, they could have done a Sulu and have a, a second figure in gold. I mean, the costumes that were already existing, you know, same bodies, same costumes, basically, as uh, right. as Kirk in that case. So, And we only got one female doll, which was the Uhura. I mean, the likeness is, that, that one has no likeness at all. No, to me, no, it doesn't it look doesn't. like Nichelle Nichols at all. No, it doesn't. I, they didn't. Migo had, you know, they they had some interesting struggles with female sculpting. It seemed like like mm. they just didn't. They never could quite capture likeness too well. It's it, uh, the the female superheroes for the most part. The the DC ones have a very baby dollish, cute looking face about them. Uh, the eight inch ones, and then they come out with uh, the Invisible Woman, and she looks like. You know, she looks like Meredith Baxter Burney for some reason. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. You know, it's really strange. They they were very hit and miss. But the, even the even the twelve inch Wonder Woman that was you know famously oh it's the Linda Carter doll. It doesn't look a thing like Linda Carter. It's not even built like Linda Carter. Well, I'm thinking you know because these have hair, real hair, unlike yes. the male characters. Maybe there's like a okay, well we need we need those heads that have hair plugs, and maybe they just farm those out. You know, just like, yeah, let's get some bulk Barbie heads. Uh, mm. Barbie would have her own face, but, you know, there are, there are a lot of knockoffs. So let's just buy a lot of heads um, <laughs> with, that come with hair because that's not our thing, but it is a thing that you can get. And maybe those are just like generic doll heads. It wouldn't surprise me if at the very least they didn't farm those out maybe to sculptors who were, you know, used to making 12-inch doll heads or 11 and a half, whatever Barbie is, 11 and a half inch doll heads. So yeah, that that's possible. That might be one reason why they don't seem to quite line up. I mean, even up into the 80s, Migo was doing a pretty good job of capturing likenesses on the Dukes of Hazard figures, but their Daisy Duke looked nothing like Catherine Bach. So <laughs> With the males, you can at least style the hair to be like the image Whereas mm-hmm. if, if you decide that you're going to go with actual, well, actually actual hair and whatever, whatever plastic hair they have, but, you know, hair plugs, then the style is all over the place, right? It's, it's, you can brush it and you can change it. So that changes the shape of the head. So they can't quite look like they did on TV unless they would have had a full plastic hairstyle fixed in position like the male characters. Yeah, I, the Ahura kind of seems to be more like her kind of swept back longer hair from season three it, you know and that's not quite the iconic version of Ahura, really you know that you know you don't think of nichelle nichols with that hairstyle when you think of classic star trek so no. that's another thing that kind of throws it off too yeah yeah and then there's these play sets 
let's let's put these action figures in a context. <laughs> yeah. Mego did do some pretty interesting, not necessarily, you know, <laughs> continuity conscious playsets, but uh, there are a couple of playsets here. You have any of those or at least reproductions of them? No, I've I've never I've almost bit on the Enterprise because the Enterprise is actually pretty uh, affordable. Uh, the Enterprise playset, which was you know Mego, Mego standard procedure early on was uh, you know uh, plastic covered cardboard playsets. That's how they made the Bat Cave, uh, how they made the various Planet of the Apes playsets. They made the DC you know the Hall of Justice and the, the world's greatest superhero line. So the Enterprise, they sold a ton of those things. They're they're out there. They're in pretty decent shape. But I just don't have the room. You know, I don't quite have yeah. the room for them. I barely have room for my Batcave and Hall of Justice on display. So I've never uh, taken a bite at it. But it is it is a really cool playset that um, it again isn't screen accurate by any means, but it, it gets the feeling of the bridge. Like you said, it's almost like the gold key version of the, of the enterprise yeah. bridge or maybe the power records, which by the way, you know, power records famously, like infamously, like why is a her white, you know, yeah. uh, why is Sulu uh, African-American what's going on here? It was Maresi blue skinned alien instead of a cat girl, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. But the enterprise, it, it's got that wonderful, even though it doesn't make sense that it's on the bridge, it's got the transporter feature that you can put the figure in, do a spin, and uh, it's got a little door in the back. You can take the figure out. And then when you stop it, it looks like the, the figure disappeared, you know. So and and, and actually, uh, I have to mention this because a lot of people who maybe people who have, are listening to this saw the episode of the Big Bang Theory where Sheldon gets uh, just the transporter by itself because uh, British Migos, British distributor Palatoy released just the transporter by itself. And uh, there's there's a whole episode of that series. I know some comic fans hate that show i raise my hand <laughs> yeah but uh anyway you know it does have uh sheldon jim uh, parsons character talking to amigo action figure voiced by leonard nimoy so uh <laughs> so it is, it is pretty fun if you if you must watch one episode of big bang theory that's the one go watch that one for leonard nimoy but uh yeah and and another one they made which was like kind of Mego moving into modern playset technology is the the mission to gamma six playset and right. that that looks a lot like vol from the apple it's this big lizard head it's not quite there but uh it's you know, like oh that's what it makes you think of but it's it's got a you know like a glove that's like some kind of plant or serpent creature that you can grab your figures with and and a plant trap and all these little I don't know, pygmy aliens that, that it comes Yeah, they with. made like, like these small figures that just don't fit the line. Right, right. <laughs> In the commercial, they say <laughs> uh, Lilliputians, if they're Lilliputians, yeah. they're big, but they don't fit the eight inch. <laughs> No, I'm sure Mego was just like, oh, we got to put something in here. And, and they knocked out a mold for, you know, and, and threw in a handful of those little guys in there to make a story. But I mean, it, it is, I have seen that thing in, in person it's it's actually pretty rare too, and I, I have seen it in person at a uh, one of the local comic shops had one for sale. Uh, it was beyond my price range, but it was it was a marvel to behold in person. It would look it would look absolutely great in a Star Trek display. I mean, having your figures all standing around that thing, so that's <laughs> pretty fun. This line is like a couple years, two three years, uh, mm -hmm. really, and then it's resurrected for the motion picture, as you said. In this case, I mean, they had like these three inch figures which were more Star Wars compatible, a little smaller than Star mm -hmm. Wars, and then also 12-inch dolls. So right. there was a push, they tried at least, 
to merchandise from the motion picture. The legend is Mego famously passed up Star Wars. And a lot of people say, well, that's what killed Mego. It's it's not what killed Mego, but passing up on Star Wars did make Mego make some bad decisions that certainly didn't help them. You know, famously, Marty Abrams, who was the president of Mego, was not in town the day the 20th Century Fox rep came to see Mego. If he has said he would have bought the license for Star Wars just to protect their own licenses, to protect Star Trek, to basically own it so they wouldn't be competing with somebody with a, a similar line. Okay. You know? So, But yeah, so Mego had hoped, okay, Star Trek the motion picture, this is our chance to make uh, Star Wars like money because, you know, Kenner had, even though they couldn't get figures out <laughs> in time for Christmas of 1977 after Star Wars hit, in the spring of 78, they started shipping them and they sold like hotcakes. And they actually, you know, Mego, Mego had actually had a, a three and three quarter inch line with the, the comic action heroes, which were the, uh, you know, smaller version of DC and Marvel characters. But they originally had bent knees and uh, somebody always makes a joke about their hand positions, but we won't get into that. But right. uh, <laughs> then, uh, when, you know, when Star Wars hit big, let's give them straight legs, make them more compatible with that kind of look. And so Mego, I, I don't really know why, but from a lot of lines, Mego abandoned that eight inch format, which seems kind of strange why they didn't, rather than go for the 12, 12 inch, which actually is 12 and a half. They're actually a little bit bigger than your average 12 inch figure. Why they didn't stick with eight inch and then the three and three quarter. I, I don't really understand, but uh, unfortunately, and I should mention before anything else that Fisher Price actually was, they had a line called the, called the Adventure People that actually pioneered that 3.75 inch scale okay yeah. so and in fact kenner mocked up some of the star wars characters from those figures to present to 20th century fox and lucasfilm you know star wars always gets the credit for that size it's they shouldn't they popularized it but but anyway the motion picture as you know <laughs> was very cerebral and not action oriented i think the character designs not, are not nearly as action figure friendly as the colorful original series, you know, television series look. A lot of gray pajamas. And I mean, they even put Decker in like yellow, which I mean, he's kind of in that beige outfit at one point. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's he's like yellow, you know, <laughs> the, the three and three quarter inch figure. And it's just not a very exciting looking line. And the 12 and a half inch figures are, you know, kind of uh, the sculpts aren't as good, I don't think, as. Uh, at least Kirk isn't as good as the original 8-inch Kirk. And uh, Mego did that in The Black Hole, both very ponderous science fiction movies for, for as far as the kid's concerned, you know, and they did not make a lot of money off of them. So. <laughs> you can tell that they were inspired by the Star Wars figures because in that motion picture line, there's a lot of weird-looking aliens that get maybe like a frame of footage. Yeah, you know, in the movie, you almost don't see them. They're just like background extras. But okay, no, let's push out all these aliens because they're interesting looking. And of course, Star Wars was doing that. Every cantina alien, every you know, Star Wars put out a, a figure for everything. You know, in that right. in those movies. So there is an attempt to do that, and yet no Uhura, no <laughs> again, Sulu and Chekhov get uh, frozen out. Yep. You get Ilea and Decker, but you don't get... <laughs> Scotty with a mustache? That's the highlight. You know, I, you look at these aliens, except for the Klingon, you just don't recognize them as Star Trek figures. You know, you no, really no, have mean... to know your, your Star Trek 
to recognize any of these because they're not any of the iconic alien races. Betelgeusean and and Xanarite and Zarnarite and Megarite and 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 uh, Rigelian and Arcturian, you know, and, and and some of those got twelve inch figures. Arcturian got a twelve inch figure, you know, and and the Klingon, of course, you know, I consider myself a pretty knowledgeable Star Trek fan, but I don't know these <laughs> these aliens hardly at all. I can't even tell you where they appear in the motion picture. Mm-hmm. They're so blinking you'll miss them, even much more so than a lot of the Cantina aliens, which, you know, Kenner made a whole, you know, Cantina playset, different versions of it, and sold it. They get spotlights, you know? It's like you're looking around the Cantina and you're getting close-up shots of these aliens. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Star Trek, I think motion picture, maybe they're they're like in the crowd when Kirk is addressing the whole crew in the rec deck. There's some makeups in there just to make it seem more science fiction-y. It's that kind of appearance. Yes, exactly. So that did not do particularly well. If you're going to go compete against Star Wars in this arena, you really need something a little more colorful. And maybe not those arms straight down. They look so yeah. stiff. And then that's why maybe I like the Klingon more, because he's got a little more bend in his arms just to make room for that. Is it a gun or a knife? Whatever. He seems to have an accessory. And yeah, you know, he's, he's a little more... And his head sculpt is pretty good, although... A lot of these aliens kind of need a little more paint in the face. I don't think the eyes particularly pop out on any of these figures. They seem underpainted, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Migo, Migo went really cheap with the paint schemes. It's not like Star Wars had a ton of, of paint detail, but they were smarter about where they used the paints than Migo mm-hmm. was. I think, you know, even as a kid, I felt like my my pocket superheroes, which I really liked, were underpainted, like Superman's eyes aren't painted in. You know, he doesn't even have black dots, you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> things like that. You know, they gave him weird, like, um, you know, he's got a metallic red S, but the yellow parts of the, the field underneath the shield aren't aren't uh, painted in, you know. So it's kind of like the same thing with the Star Trek figures. And they have eyebrows, but not painted eyes. It's, it's really kind of bizarre. And, uh, you know, it, just sitting here thinking, just imagine if Migo was able to keep doing the the Star Trek license, the classic TV series license, and went to this scale with the figures. I mean, the colors of the uniforms and the, the I mean, they could have made a shuttlecraft, you know, uh, <laughs> Galileo or something for him, right? And that would have fit in nicely with your Star Wars vehicles and things like that. So it's, it's a shame that Paramount, you know, very, in my opinion, stupidly, just like, nope, you can't make classic Star Trek anymore. It's all about the motion picture now, you know, and phasered themselves in the foot that way. So Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and is that like the last throws of uh, action figures before Playmate picks up the license or were there Star Trek toys in between those two eras? Yeah, there were. Uh, they they weren't unfortunately very successful. Oddly enough, of course, it's the by most people's standards the greatest of all Star Trek films, Star Trek II. Uh, the Wrath of Khan had absolutely no merchandise, no action figures at least, and very very little merchandise made from it because the motion picture figures were still in closeout. And, you know, at a lot of stores, Ileas were still, you know, <laughs> peg warming, you know, I mean, they, they couldn't get rid of them, you know, you know, nobody wanted to to take a bite on, on Star Trek figures. Now, by the time Star Trek three came along, I guess the success of two and, and just the good will toward it, uh, Ertl, who made uh die cast, uh, and I believe at one time they were affiliated with AMT. They were part of that license with the model kits. I think they were connected at one point. But Ertl made uh, die-cast uh, ships, small ships, not to scale with action figures, but they made those, and they also made action figures of Kirk, 
Spock, oddly enough, in his Starfleet uniform, his Monster Maroon uniform, Scotty and Cruz. I never saw those in the wild. I, oddly enough, got a couple of the ships from Kings Island theme park near Cincinnati, Ohio when I was a kid, but I never saw the figures. But they're actually, you know, pretty nice looking. I mean, they're, they're a little more articulated than the motion picture figures. Although I think some of the mock-ups from it, some prototype photos are the <laughs> repainted uh, motion picture figures when they were pitching them. But uh, they didn't get a lot of uh, wide distribution, I think, basically because Ertl didn't have a foot in the uh, action figure aisle. They did die-cast vehicles and things like that, but uh, they couldn't really get those figures out there. So there wasn't a lot of those. Galoob made uh, Next Generation figures for the launch of that series. But apparently, I, I don't know if it was because of the, you know, the first few years of the next generation were a bit rough and it had a little trouble finding its footing in an audience at first. But, uh, the, you know, they made the most of the bridge crew, uh, Picard, Riker, Data, Worf, LaForge and Yar. They left out Troy and Crusher. There's always two characters that get left out. They kind of made some weird choices with their aliens. There was a Ferengi leader. An Antican delegate, uh, a Sile leader. Uh, those two, I mean, I can't even, wh- what even episode were those in? I can't even Lonely tell Lonely Among Us. Uh, okay, all right. And Q, they made Q. And I almost forgot about this, but Galoob did make, I wouldn't even really call them action figures. They they made figures for Star Trek V. They're not very articulated at all. They're almost like statues mm. in, 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 a, in a lot of ways. They have very limited articulation. They're pre-posed. They almost remind me of something that would be more, this was 89, that would come later in like the mid-90s when that kind of pre-posed, you know, that total justice uh, extreme, you know, they're in extreme pose, not a vanilla pose. Uh, They kind of remind me of that, but the sculpting's kind of soft and they didn't go over well and they didn't get much distribution either. Uh, I know there's a Kirk. Uh, I can't remember what all they are off the top of my head now because I, I, I totally slipped my mind about them until we were talking right now. But I know they made Kirk in his um, field outfit when they uh, go to uh, Paradise City or whatever, you know, at the beginning of the movie. So, yeah, he's in that ribbed uh, sweater thing he's got on or whatever that is. Uh, it, it, yeah, they're not that great. So, yeah, the after the success Mego had in the 70s with the classic TV series, There are quite a few Star Trek action figure flops or near misses. You know, they they never even had a chance to succeed before Playmates came. And, you know, I mean, what they did with it is just amazing. So uh, (laughs) and they and they made it sell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a story for another day. So let's just time travel to the present. And Mego is back in business. They're doing reproductions of these figures. Are they doing new figures as well? Or is, is it just... Vintage. They're doing a mix, actually. And and before Mego came back proper, there was a company called MC Toys, uh, and they partnered with uh, Diamond, the comic distributor. Right. They put out reproductions and new figures. They reproduced Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty Klingon, Keeper, Sharon, Romulan, Andorian, Bugato. But they also gave us new Mego-like figures of Sulu and Chekhov, finally. Mm-hmm. That fit right in with the line, looked great. A screen-accurate Gorn, so they redid the Gorn. They gave us a young Khan, Captain Pike, Salt Vampire, and they... I don't think they ever released these, but they showed Nurse Chapel and Vina in her Orion Slave Girl persona. But I don't think those were ever released. And um, Paul Clark, who's big in the Mego community, he, he actually was one of the very first guys who started making reproduction Mego accessories and heads years ago... Uh, 
<laughs> and oddly enough, I might be telling tales out of school. I think it's pretty much public record. Paul, uh, as Dr. Migo, as he was known, he actually got a cease and desist uh, from Paramount at one point and then ended up then ended up making official <laughs> Paramount figures through MC Toys and then later the revived Migo. So he's involved. He's involved in the new Migo. You know, you never know. These small little uh, underground companies and endeavors can can pay off. So now he's making official Star Trek stuff. So Mego came back in, uh, I think, 2018 it was. And uh, at first they were exclusively at Target. And then it kind of opened up everywhere. You can go into your comic book shop now. I was in my LCS yesterday and they had a wall full of Mego figures, oh. which was amazing to see. You get them through Diamond now. So they have made Sulu, Chekhov, Spock, Screen Accurate, Gorn again. Kirk and his green wraparound tunic with some tribbles, Kirk in his dress uniform, the Romulan commander, who's a more screen-accurate version of the Romulan with the sash and all that, Spock in his dress uniform, Uhura, salt vampire, and they did new sculpts of Scotty and Bones. They've also made uh, Kang, Michael and Sarah's Kang, box sets of uh, Mira Mira, Kirk, and Spock, and then Uhura and Sulu, and then they've done 14-inch figures of Kirk, Spock, and the Gorn, soon to be released, the, the motion picture version of Spock in his Starfleet uniform and in that cool black cape uniform that he first comes on the Enterprise in. They've made really nice uh, Wrath of Khan versions of Kirk, Spock, and Khan. Those are some of my favorites that I've got out of the new Mego. Uh, they've also went into the next generation with Picard, Data, Riker, Worf in both his red and gold uniforms. Locutus, Q, and they've also made Pike, Michael Burnham, and Seru from Discovery. So, and I think they're making Cisco. I think you'll be happy to know that the Cisco is supposed to be coming out too. My so. one Mego figure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but if you had your way, I mean, they, they keep making them, I guess, but which figures would you like to imagine would have been made available to you in the 70s? Like, you know, the actual vintage, like imagine even the, uh, the off-model figure that that might create. Do you have any dream figures, whether vintage or that should be made today, that relate to the original series. This line is really a TOS line. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think back in the day, Chekhov and Sulu were, you know, overlooked. They should have been made. A Khan would have been great. Oh, yeah. Of course, you know, maybe maybe nobody knew, you know, until Wrath of Khan came along. But it's still Ricardo Montalban. So you still, you still wanted a Khan, right? You know, Harry Mudd. Harry Mudd was in, he's the only recurring villain uh, on the, the classic TV series. True. Uh, not to steal any thunder from the next episode, when Playmates made the figure, they had to base it more on the animated design than the than his actual than Roger C. Carmel because apparently there's some kind of yeah his estate's weird about his license or his likeness or yeah. I don't I don't understand that but a Harry Mudd figure would have been cool uh, you know a Trelane because Migo could have used a Trelane and then gave us a, a you know added a beard and gave us a screen accurate Koloth uh, so <laughs> William Campbell sculpt uh, a Galileo playset even for the eight inch figures would have been neat you know I, I could see Mego there have been some Mego customizers who have kind of uh, made it a, uh, a vehicle, but also like a vinyl cardboard playset. You know, they've kind of combined the two. It's got like the plastic, uh, you know, nacelle things on uh, landing gear things on the bottom, but it's also, you know, also opens up like one of those playsets. So I, I think that would have been fun, you know, if, if they'd done something like that. So yeah, they, they could have done more with it. And li like I said, if they expanded into the three and three quarter inch size, it would have been neat to see what they could have done with more vehicles and, and, and play sets. And, you know, they could have probably given us even more figures, more crew members. I mean, you could have, uh, 
you could have actually filled out the crew with some red shirts, you know, yeah. <laughs> ready to die, you know. <laughs> and there, I mean, there's plenty of name ones. I mean, we, we could use them as red shirts, but, you know, Mr. Leslie and they appear quite frequently, these characters, especially in the original, yeah. the, the first seasons. It's always kind of the same guys, you know, Yeoman Rand. And I mean, there's plenty of characters. I should mention this before I forget. Eddie Paskey's Mr. Leslie. Somebody at Mego sculpted a head that looks like him, but it has not, oddly, has not been released as a Mr. Leslie figure yet, but it has been used by Mego when they made, um, for some mad reason, Target <laughs> wanted, when they first came back, Target wanted a lot of sitcom action figures, and they got the Married with Children license, but they didn't get the likeness rights to Ed O'Neill. So they used this Eddie Paskey head sculpt for for Al Bundy, and they also used him in clear plastic for their Invisible Man. But if you want to make a Mr. Leslie figure, just go buy a Scotty, go buy an Al Bundy, and you know pop his. I think you got to take a braid off his off his sleeve, but uh, then you'll have your uh, you'll have your Mr. Leslie figure. Wow! So. <laughs> wow! Do it yourself. Yeah, that would be some great figures. I mean, when we were kids, we loved lizard-like action figures. So I would supplement mm-hmm. my whatever He-Man or whatever that was popular then with knockoff snake men and, and different lizard men. I mean, the lizards were very much more popular than anything else in my household between my brother mm-hmm. and myself. So there are some lizards in here between the Gorn and the Neptunian <laughs> Or right. lizard-like. So to me, like, I think if I had my druthers and I was, like, trying to imagine some of these toys, I would go with the more outlandish aliens. Let's see what they do with Tholians, which we, we mm. don't really know what they look like, you know, from the show. But imagine that crystal head and then whatever yeah. body that Mego thinks is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Or, um, yeah, and of course, like... They weren't really producing a lot of female characters, that's obvious. And if they were farming out the head non-sculpts, you know, the hairy heads, then you probably yeah. can't have, you know, the green head you need for an Orion slave girl. Or nor is it appropriate for kids. But <laughs> or or even the Romulan commander from the Enterprise incident, which I think is like that would be a great doll, oh, but yeah. she needs the ears. So, you know, maybe that's not going to happen. You know, or uh, Tapao or something. <laughs> you yeah. can't get those characters as easily, but you can imagine them. That would be kind of fun. Or my imaginary playset is the Guardian of Forever. So you get this big donut, Ooh. light up donut, plug it in. Uh, then you can use other, you know, just like walk through. And then you're playing with figures from other times, including Ooh, nice. my Mago. Um Abraham Lincoln. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could do the Savage Curtain that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's it's fun to imagine, but I mean, they're doing some of these figures, and I I could totally believe that some of these ideas are going to show up eventually. Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think Migos had a lot of success. The new Migo with with Star Trek. I mean, they're moving into the fourteen inch figures. Uh, some of the the figures they had an exclusive deal very briefly with Tops. The trading card company uh, releasing exclusive versions of the figures, and there were a lot of Star Trek figures in there. So I, I don't think they're slowing down anytime soon. I think they've Mego and, and Paramount, or you know, I guess it's Paramount again. It was CBS, now it's Paramount again. They're enjoying their success together. So I, I think the sky's the limit with what Mego can do, and it, it is very collector focused. So they don't have to worry about, well, is this going to sell the kids? They don't care. It's not made for kids. So will we eventually get Kelvin timeline? 
versions of of Kirk, Spock, etc. We might we'll, we might see more from uh, Strange New Worlds. Sure. We got a Pike. You know, we might see more characters from that. Uh, so that'll be welcome. It doesn't seem like they're going to slow down anytime soon. Excellent. Well, great conversation. I love for you to share your passion about toys. What are you working on that people can can look forward to on the Fire and Water Podcast Network? Well, right now, uh, my wife Cindy and I are uh, we're we're coming towards the back half of season one of Justice League Unlimited on JLU Cast. There's some great great episodes there uh, and we're having a blast we we enjoyed doing the justice league series but we were always building up to this uh this is in my opinion this is the the best the the dc animated universe ever got it's also like one of my favorite versions of the dc universe if not the favorite version so uh we're, we're having a whole lot of fun talking about it so if you ever like any of the animated stuff please check it out we're we're having a blast and i'm gonna show up on one of those shows one day Yes, you will. Yes, we've got plans. Yes. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Chris. While you put your dolls, I'm sorry, action figures back in their display case, I'll stick around for subspace transmissions. That's your feedback on our previous episode. Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time. All of them on one team. Since there are so many of us, we have a chance to do more than just put out fires. We can be proactive. We can do some real good in the world. JLU Cast brings you coverage of Justice League Unlimited, the ultimate gathering of DC's heroes and villains, and the culmination of the greatest interpretation of the DC Universe ever. Join Chris and Cindy Franklin as they relive the team-ups, the battles, the conspiracies. I had no idea that the Girl Scouts were responsible for the crop circle phenomenon. Few people do. Few even think to ask the question. The romance and the fun. A head start. You're getting soft in your old age. Don't you have a tall building to go leave? And the adventure continues. Find us wherever fine fire and water podcasts are available. Incoming subspace transmissions. A selection of your feedback on our previous episode in which Ryan Blake and I put a spotlight on the gem Hadar. Kurt Onstadt puts it into perspective by saying, Ketracel White, the cause of and answer to all of the gem Hadar's problems. Brian Linton wonders if the Jemadar suffer from Stormtrooper Syndrome. Like their white-clad counterparts from that other Starbase franchise, they are supposed to be highly effective soldiers, but don't look particularly competent when they face off against the DS9 crew. I suppose the idea is to show off the capabilities of our heroes, but a side effect is that it makes the Jemadar look less of a threat. I also found your comparison of the Jemadar to the Vorta interesting. I once read a book on Jungian typology that used pop culture examples to illustrate different concepts. The author suggested that the founders deliberately left introverted judgment, i.e. Jung's introverted thinking and feeling functions, out of the Vorta's genetic makeup. Among other things, this means that the Vorta would lack a subjective value system. This would also explain why the Vorta can't appreciate art or carry a tune. The Jemadar do not seem to suffer from such a deficiency as your example of Ekatika refusing to kill Worf demonstrates. That Jemadar followed their subjective values in the face of external social pressure from their superior to execute our favorite Klingon. For anyone who is interested in such things, the book is Personality Type an Owner's Manual by Lenore Thompson. And Paul Keane says he really enjoyed this episode regarding the post-show books. Many of them, especially the early ones, are really good. The Jemadar character, Taranatar, becomes pretty interesting, interacting with the Starfleet crew. He does not get them. 
I had not given much thought before to the implications of the aware Jemadar. So thanks for that nightmare. The Fire and Water Podcast Network has a patron page at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. If you like this content and want more like it, think about leaving a one-time or a monthly donation. It even unlocks rewards. For example, for $5 a month, you could get yourself on the Starfleet commendations list like the, for now, tiny bird of the galaxy, Doug Van Diver. Join Doug and I in the fleet at patreon.com. And as usual, let me remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com, on the Fire and Water Facebook page, or on Twitter where we are FW Podcasts. Till the next episode, this is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly. <laughs> <laughs>